0: I say, when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about stupid people a lot, but we're going to talk about smart people today, and we are smart people, really. Um, I am Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen.
0: Hello. How are you?
1: I'm not bad. How are you doing today?
0: Um, we'll go with fine. <laughs>
1: fine yes they're... i'm fine
0: how's <laughs> the <Have some> weather <laughs>
1: this uh, is what we
0: do you know it's a pretty beautiful
1: sunny day <laughs> same here actually after all of the flooding that we have had it's been it's we've actually had very nice weather after that well that's good <laughs> um yes i'm very happy about that uh so today we are actually going to talk about um film criticism and kind of do a film criticism 201 episode um because we realized that there was a bunch of stuff we didn't really cover when we were talking about film criticism on, our, on the last time we did this and it's uh, over and we, a year ago
0: can you please over
1: a year ago and we also have a lot of of episodes about like you know feminist film theory and queer theory and stuff like that so there's a lot of things that we can talk about um because it is a broad discipline but we're we're specifically want to address like film criticism and um things like how to read a film genre and stuff like that but before we get into that i wanted to mention really quickly the um the matrix resurrections trailer because i have not been particularly excited about this film because i honestly like a lot of people are like oh my god the the matrix is such an iconic franchise it's like no it's an iconic film the franchise sucks (laughs) (laughs) like the the second two matrix films the second one i think is is kind of a fun action movie the third one is just i don't even know what is happening it's like (laughs) it just goes off in its own world and i was like this i know what you're trying to do but this does not work that's what i was thought that's what i was thinking when i was a teenager okay so even now i'm like no this is this is a failure i'm sorry to say
0: it's that running joke of like what movie do you think they should have made a sequel to the matrix
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's so true and i know that people are like oh well you also have to play the video game and watch the animatrix and do this and that i'm like no no i
0: don't actually the
1: the films should should be able to stand they should be able to stand as a trilogy or not stand at all um, and unfortunately, they don't. I think that there are lots of really interesting things in them, and the the Wachowskis really do try to to do some interesting things, and it just doesn't work. um
0: yeah. I've only seen whatever the third one was. Was that Reloaded or was that the second one? I can't remember. Um,
1: I don't. know it's The Matrix Reloaded and then The Matrix Revolution.
0: Okay, I've only seen Revolution once, and. So I don't really remember it. I just remember walking out of the theater going, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think if I'm not mistaken, I think I actually went to see the Matrix Revolutions on like the night of my senior prom. So <laughs> me and a bunch of friends went to see Matrix Revolutions and then we met up with a, a bunch of our other friends <laughs> to, to like do, do prom stuff and do like after party stuff. It was very bizarre um looking back i was just like that was a weird idea i don't know why we did that necessarily. <laughs> that's my memory i mean one of my friends can correct me probably about about what we were doing <laughs> but it was fun it was fun but yeah not not great great uh films i remember my one of my friends actually said about the ending of the matrix <laughs> there's like a scene where neo is basically being crucified right mm-hmm. and but he he lights up and in the theater, she was just like he just lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> it's it's not that's that's the thing. It's so weird. I remember that particularly because she shouted that in the middle of the theater. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not not great films. That being said, I am actually cautiously optimistic. <laughs> about the matrix uh resurrections which is the new film that will be coming out and which we just got the trailer for Um, and some of this is definitely nostalgia it's kind of like oh the matrix i remember that that was that was like a major part of my teenage years you know um but also you know i like the i like the wakowskis i like um i think it's lana wakowski directed this one um and and i would be in i'm interested in in what she's going to do with this and but have
0: you as a youth watched <laughs> the movies learn
1: well and that was the thing that i was interested in is the number of people who like you know I, so i was 12 i think when the first matrix came out 12 13 years old so i didn't actually see it in theaters but i saw the, the second two in theaters um and but it was like a major cultural touch point, right? Mm-hmm. Like there were tons of parodies of it. There were tons of like, uh, you know, using the imagery from it. Like it, it just happened a lot. Obviously we still have incels and people like that talking about the red pill, which is hilarious given <laughs> the actual meaning of some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's still very much a part of our culture but I, I was definitely wondering like if people who are, are significantly younger than me, right? So I was fairly young. But people who are significantly younger than me, if they even know or have seen The Matrix other than seeing it in parody, um, if, if, is this still a cultural touchstone? Because I think that that is going to affect the way that we culturally respond to whatever it is that, the, that Resurrections does. Because I mean, are we basically gonna have to explain what The Matrix is again? <laughs> <laughs> the, to the children, I don't know. Mm-hmm and by children i mean people who are 21 right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah my nephew is 16 and i'm not sure if he has seen the films or not but knowing my brother he's gonna really be wanting to go see matrix resurrections so he's gonna make sure especially when he finds out that the whole thing is on hbo max (laughs) he's gonna make sure to show his kid
1: (laughs) i mean the first film i think actually does hold up really oh well. yeah i, mean, I just
0: rewatched it a couple weeks ago and i was like man this is a good movie when didn't yeah. they make more of these
1: <laughs> you still got that kind of cyberpunk you know a late 90s cyberpunk look uh-huh. um you know there some of it is definitely a throwback some of the uh some of the um special effects are a little bit a little bit wonky um but it does hold up really well. And I think a lot of the wonkiness, even of the special effects can kind of be written off as this this is a video game world, basically, right? This right. is a computer generated world. Um, and- And in so, the
0: context of the movie, that is literal.
1: Yeah, that, that's what I mean, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but I, I will be interested to see how people younger people react to this and like if this is because i I honestly don't know i don't know anyone who's in their their teens or early 20s right now so i have no idea if people have an experience of the matrix beyond like you know maybe seeing the the bullet action parodied once or twice
0: yeah i don't know what i do know is like you i was just kind of and i loved the first film um and when i heard that they were doing another one I was intrigued just because Lana is involved and because Keanu Reeves was coming back for it. It wasn't just a full on reboot with new people. So I was like, Hmm, all right. My interest is, is, you know, peaked a bit. And then that trailer, I was just like, this might be a terrible movie, but they cut a really good trailer. <laughs> I can't wait. Like I'm, I'm all in for it,
1: you know? I love the it's so obvious yet so much fun the use of white rabbit Uh-huh. Um, and not even not even like slow down because you don't really if you slow down white rabbit too much just there's no song um but but yeah I really liked that I was just like this is so fucking on the nose yeah but I like it a lot like I like the fact that they are just like you know what we're just gonna go go heavy on this you know and a lot of the matrix films really are very heavy i mean they're they're not trying to conceal a lot of the uh, the philosophical or other references in some ways it's fairly superficial in, um in in some elements definitely yeah but um you know neo the one all of that shit it's very obvious but in in that way i think that that's part of what makes it so enjoyable mm-hmm. um so yes, yeah, so we'll we'll see I am like, like I guess I'm cautiously optimistic uh that this is going to be fun and it is nice to see like Hannah Reeves back um Carrie Ann Moss back mm-hmm. uh I I think that that's going to be really cool that in itself just like in the nostalgia for me is just going to be like yes I want to see this <laughs> <laughs> I think I know you it's like oh my god I know it made me just like
0: <laughs> okay, now I have to go back for sure and watch the third movie because I don't remember where things ended and I was like, I don't (laughs)
1: understand why this is...
0: Yeah, so I was just like, I'm so intrigued.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It sounds like we both are um moving yes. moving on let's talk a little bit about um film criticism and what we want to discuss today and uh karen you actually introduced this topic to me um uh, about a week ago and was like oh we should do this it's like absolutely but one of the things that you wanted to talk about was this question in terms of as film critics right so not academics or anything like that but like actual film critics writing a review of a film about how to read a film mm-hmm. um so so do you want to kind of start us off about what you wanted to address here yeah
0: well we see this a lot with with certain movies where um a a critique of a film or i think more accurately a lot of times it's not criticism and that's part of the problem i think a lot of times what we're seeing is reactions um that kind of thing and so one of the frequent issues that i see in certain reactions to films is completely misunderstanding (laughs) what the film is supposed to be about um getting facts of it wrong uh not understanding that a film is so much more than just the plot and the characters um all those all those things people it's like people forget that film is not a book is not a play it's its own thing and they don't tend to look at it and we talked about this in our in our 101 episode um but they don't tend to look at it for the unique uh form of of art that it is and that's a problem and it's something that it gets it gets really frustrating especially as we see more and more people just thinking they can just jump right in and start reviewing films and everyone's entitled to an opinion about a movie that's not the problem but what is a problem is when they don't bother to learn about film itself and they don't understand the many things that go into it or or the context involved or or you know all the elements that make film special and unique and its own thing so i wanted to talk about that
1: yeah it's um i mean i think we see it a lot more now because really anybody anybody who can make a website can write film reviews right you're not necessarily you know it's not limited but it's it's kind of like well that's you know we we hear a lot of ballet like, well it's your opinion or something that the point of film criticism is that yes it's an opinion absolutely it is a subjective understanding of the film and whether it's successful not successful what it is doing you know all kinds of things Does it doesn't work um But the point is that it's supposed to be an informed opinion. It's criticism. Criticism should be coming from people who know things like we've said before about film history, about the what goes into making a film. And I I absolutely agree with you. I think one of the things that drives me crazy is that a lot of film criticism tends to just be like a synopsis of the plot. Um, Okay, so this is what happens like, okay, fine. You know, we need to know who the characters are, all of that and and it's completely focused on narrative right this is and some films are very heavy on narrative some films are very plot driven some films are character driven right not a lot actually happens in terms of advancing a narrative um some films are not narrative at, at all i mean there was a long argument back in the early days of cinema about what film was supposed to be was it supposed to be just this narrative format that was going to be aping something like literature or plays but on you know celluloid or was it supposed to be more than that something that was outside narrative format so that's where we get a lot of avant-garde cinema that's where we get a lot of art cinema right that it it isn't solely this this continuity narrative plot driven stories um told from beginning to end and so i think that that critics a lot of people tend to just look at a film very superficially and say i liked it i didn't like it and then move on which isn't what is needed for for good film criticism right there are a lot of critics that i disagree with there are a lot of famous critics that i disagree with i disagree with robert ebert or with uh, roger ebert all the time i disagree with pauline kale all the time but they know film like they know cinema they know referentiality they know how to dig into um what a film is doing and whether or not they think it is successful at what it's attempting um, and you have to do you have to dig into more than just the superficial narrative, in order to get at that,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, part of what brought this on this week is that I was seeing some really interesting um, tweets and and articles coming out of uh, the film festivals. You know, we had friends at Telluride and and um, Venice last week, and we have people at TIFF now up in Toronto. And I was seeing so many, you know, it's like all about the instant reaction. We got to, got to get our thoughts out there. We got to be first because we want to go for those poll quotes and things like that. And I, I'm not going to name the person, um, for personal reasons, but, uh, one of my friends, uh, tweeted that, you know, I have been thinking about this. this was a couple of days ago, I've been thinking about this and I think I'm, I'm going to stop posting like instant reactions to things because as I take time to think more about a film, sometimes my opinion of it changes and I realize I was just really excited in the moment. It's actually not that good or sometimes vice versa. And I'm just like, yeah, you just described being a critic instead of being an influencer. So good on you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's just it. And we've talked about that a lot on here. It is that, you know, so many people who call themselves film critics because there's not officially another term for it um, really are influencers. They're all about like, I like this. I don't like this. That's worth seeing. That's not worth giving your money to. And that's where it stops. And they're missing out on and they're depriving their readers of a really rich experience of understanding. Like for me, Sometimes if I'm not sure, I mean, this isn't the case anymore as much like now. I just kind of see things if I think that they're going to be interesting. But back in the day before I was actually working and writing in the industry, I relied on film criti- film critics a lot, not just, um, not just to decide if I wanted to see a film, but to help me really kind of pinpoint how I felt about the movie after I'd seen it, mm-hmm. I usually waited to read the reviews until after I'd seen it. Because the point wasn't to decide if I was going to give it my money, the point was, okay, now I've seen this, I need help, like really understanding my feelings, my thoughts, needing some cultural background, that kind of thing, and that's really what criticism is for.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that it's, you know, we, we've talked about kind of the cycles almost. So there there is that initial social media reaction, usually, often coming out of film festivals. Yes, you, know, so you very often get these big hyperbolic responses mm-hmm. either. And it's usually either love or hate, right? It is yep. the worst film I have ever seen, mm-hmm. or it this this is going to change cinema forever. Now, of course, usually it's somewhere in between, right? It's not mm-hmm. you know, it's not gonna be on one of those major extremes. But I think that it is true when we walk out of a film, particularly you, you, when you leave a film, if you're just going to see it in a theater, if you're sitting watching it at home, you have an emotional reaction to it. Like the first thing that you do is you're just like, oh wow, I loved that. Or, oh God, that really disappointed me. So there's, there is this natural, and, and cinema does kind of trade on emotions. Um, that's one of the things that it's really good at and and that can that can be good and bad in terms of how people you know actually respond to it um but so you know you walk out of a film you're like oh god this is the greatest film i've ever seen and then you might actually stop for a little while and what you need to do is to stop and think about it's like is this the greatest film that i've ever seen were there things that um that didn't work were there things that worked really well um you know and and usually what you come down to after you sat on it a little bit is that it isn't the greatest film you've ever seen but it's also not the worst film you've ever seen um and and so then we get that next step that next point in the cycle almost where after these hyperbolic reactions you actually begin to get more nuanced conversations more like well this works this doesn't You also begin to get a lot of other different perspectives coming out right it's like you're saying so is there cultural background that i don't understand um i we talked about earlier this year um the release of in the heights right which was getting Mm -hmm. all of this this massive praise and then people began raising some of the issues um, that you know as as a as a white white critic i would never have known about basically Mm -hmm. but but then you you begin to get into well this is backlash it's like no is it really backlash or is it actually more people getting to see the film and thinking about it more and talking about it more and having more of a nuanced conversation about it. And, and this, this is always, you know, difficult, but yeah, we, we do, I think definitely need to get away from this immediate reaction, right? Immediate, and not just immediate reaction on like social media, but immediate reaction in reviews. Yeah. Um, I think those and,
0: are, I'm sorry. No, go on. I was going to say, I think the reviews are are more of the problem. I mean, social media reactions are are kind of fun, but they're such a blip because the cycle goes so quickly, and we move on to the next thing almost immediately. And so it's like you're once you put something on social media, yeah, it is kind of just out there, but you're also not strictly limited to it because then when you sit down to write your review a little bit later, when you've had more time to process, then you can go like, wow, yeah, I was wrong. And my first impression was really overblown, you know. Yeah. And and you're not you're not married to it as much. And and it's not tied to an aggregate like rotten tomatoes, you know, until you actually publish Mm -hmm. a review. So I think social media reactions definitely need to calm down, but I also don't think that they are entirely the problem. I think what really tends to happen, and this is based on some things I've seen from, from specific people and also just kind of conjecture a little bit. But I think sometimes what happens is that because people throw out a a reaction on Twitter and it immediately, you know, gets shared a bunch of times, gets liked a bunch of times, and then they kind of feel like they're beholden to that. Mm -hmm. And they don't allow themselves the freedom to pull back and go, Oh, you know what? That was, that was too much too quickly you know I've, I've I've actually cooled off on my opinion or i've actually feel a lot more you know a lot warmer toward this film or whatever so mm-hmm. the problem the problem isn't that the reactions are out there the problem is that people just stick to their guns especially if they're going to get poll quoted and then they have to make sure that their review matches their their tweet instead of being like an honest assessment of the film
1: yeah and i mean that's one of the problems when you're talking about contemporary film criticism is that there isn't theres not there isn't there because of the nature of the way that phone criticism works right now there isn't a lot of time to sit and ponder right mm-hmm. to sit with with something to take a while on reviews one of the things i actually like about about this podcast and about our website et cetera, is that i don't feel this push to i have to get this out there you know i have to write it because otherwise it's going to um you know i'm it, it I, it's not going to be important or something um i i feel like i can take a little bit more time to actually sit with it and to say like you know what did i basically when it what a lot of it comes down to is there's never no film is ever all good or all bad um and there are a lot of films that even if i don't like them i can find good things in them it's a good performance um it's it's a good you know the the cinematography is really good the music is good the soundtrack you know there there might be something in it that i actually like even though overall i don't think that the film itself works
0: i um, actually have an example of this
1: yeah go on <laughs>
0: so my, i have i have these friends up in utah um and we're we're really close we all you know spend vacations and stuff together i used to be roommates with with one and then uh introduced the two of them they got married I don't know why I gave all that contextual background. It doesn't help. But um, anyway, we're all good friends. Well, uh, (laughs) we like scary. Well, Emily doesn't like scary movies, but Dustin does. And so Emily Dustin, Dustin and I, before Emily and Dustin ever got together and got married, uh, we would just like do scary movie nights. We were obsessed with scary movie nights. And we would just like go to Hollywood Video, pick out a movie, usually one that I had seen that he hadn't because he lived in a small town growing up and they didn't get a movie theater until he was in high school and so he missed out on a lot so I would introduce him to stuff well a couple of years ago I was just back up there visiting and Emily had to work and so Dustin and I were like I think it's a good night for scary movie night and so we went to Redbox and just ran we were looking for horror movies and we just randomly found this movie called (laughs) some guy who kills people and we were like, okay. how do you not get a movie called Some Guy Who Kills People? <laughs> and so we got it. And it was like the story was a mess. It the the genre was kind of all over the place, like the subgenre stuff. Like it couldn't decide if it was a funny horror movie or if it was a dramatic horror movie, or it was like kind of a mess. The acting was bad, the special effects were terrible. And I actually at the at this point i had a personal blog and i wrote like a little review of it on my on my blog <laughs> and the um one of the producers saw my my post cuz i think i had tweeted about it too and he like um shared it with a couple of the other people that had worked on the movie and he's like hey but she didn't complain about the sound design and i was like you know actually the sound design was really good
1: <laughs> it's like there we go
0: <laughs> so there's always you yeah, know every movie has something good about it yeah most not not that's not universally true there's never an always or a never but
1: well i i think the that there's part. i think that there's usually something to find in a film that, that yeah. does actually work you know and, and it can be it can be minor things so it's just like you had a really good title uh-huh. uh you know and they did <laughs> obviously they had a good title because you saw that title and we're like we have to rent this movie right and so, i've never forgotten it <laughs> exactly so you know in that at that level it definitely it worked it did its job um but yeah so and i do think that that's something that's important about film criticism is to always have you know if you all if your review is ultimately negative what works you know if your review is ultimately positive what doesn't work you know and admittedly i think that sometimes it's difficult to find those things um it's difficult to say like i especially if you hated a movie for um whatever reason right um sometimes you know i definitely something like a movie that i really hate blade runner 2049 fucking hate it hate it (laughs) with a passion right i will go on and on about how much i hate that movie i will say very nice cinematography it is a very pretty film It, it uses color really well Right. That's difficult for me to say because I hate it so much.
0: I thought of you this week because someone (laughs) posted an article about how Chloe Zhao had used images from Blade Runner 2049 to pitch the Eternals (laughs) movie.
1: But so, no, exactly. Exactly. Like it's very, it's very pretty. Some of the images, some like I think that some of the still shots that people use for like reviews and things like that are gorgeous absolutely i will absolutely give it that i hate everything else Mm -hmm. about it but i do definitely give it that um but so so that's that's the point i think that every critic should always be approaching film as like this is neither the greatest film ever made or the worst film ever made there it's somewhere in between right yeah and and there are always good things to find about films that you think are bad and and negative things to find about films that you think are good and that's part of balanced criticism and part of actually showing that you're, you're you know you're paying attention to the film and you're not so sim- you're not simply looking for that pull quote
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know it, this is just like ah oh, it's the greatest film ever made i want to get this put on the box for the blu-ray or on the poster um but that you're actually seriously <sighs> considering what it is that you're talking about and um and what the film does well and what the film doesn't do well
0: and i think that I'm trying to figure out how to say this so it doesn't sound like I'm calling anybody out because I'm not. But I think that people who truly are passionate about criticism are not looking for the quote. They are in it for the joy of writing about film, which is in itself an art form. Uh, Criticism is part of art, and which we've talked about that a lot too. And I think that people who truly are passionate about that aren't worrying about the quotes, aren't worrying about getting their instant reaction out there. They really are in it for the love of writing about film, good and bad. And that's where I think that really we need to, to kind of encourage people to accept the mantle of influencer or reviewer instead of critic, because so many of them really are in it for something else they're in it for the opportunity to see lots of movies because they love movies they're cinephiles i'm not saying that they're not i'm just saying like their motive for calling themselves film critics is different and and it's okay and embrace that and i think that if they would embrace that we wouldn't have this constant fight over what constitutes criticism and what doesn't
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and who should
0: be writing it and who shouldn't you know which i've never said people should or shouldn't but
1: Yeah, that's a really good point to to actually begin to demarcate what is and and to not it necessarily be a value judgment, right, right. But to demarcate that that what you're actually doing here is influencing people to Mm -hmm. see a film or not see a film, but you're not really doing criticism, which is is a different thing. I think that that's and we do we do have the division between what is criticism and what is scholarship. Right. And I think that, and there are definitely overlaps there, but um, very often scholarship doesn't really make a value judgment at the end. It doesn't say, you know, I liked this or I didn't like it. It's more like, okay, we're going to analyze what it does. And scholarship has a um, scholarship and analysis does have a, a a place in film criticism. And a lot of what we're talking about is overlapping, but it's not the same thing. Right. Um, Two different, two different, but related disciplines uh yeah that's that's a good point um one of the things i did want to say is that I, rotten tomatoes obviously is one of the hard one of the one of the issues in modern film <laughs> criticism because it has it, it is it forces you basically if you're going to post your review on rotten tomatoes um it forces you to split between binaries right it's either fresh or it's rotten most films are somewhere in between so how do you actually navigate that and i had this this issue when um, i was writing my review of the green knight because after having watched the film, I was like, oh, I think I quite liked that. And then I began thinking about it a little bit more. I was like, mm, there are definitely some things that I don't like about it. And then the more that I thought about it, and actually as I wrote about it, I was like, ah, I'm a lot more mixed on this than I thought I was. <laughs> um, so it, it had this trajectory, but at the end, I'm like, and I wanted to submit it to Rotten Tomatoes because it, it drives traffic, right? So it's that level of like, I want people to read the review. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was looking, I was like, but it's not either. Like it's overripe. I mean, can we have that like, or underripe where it's not quite there, but it's getting there.
0: (laughs) And then one of the problems with that binary is that then people misunderstand the score. So then you've got people who like, I actually, there's someone that, uh, I follow on Instagram who occasionally will post like uh, you know, like an a graphic of like, okay, I saw this movie. Here's my score on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. And I'm just like, that's not what that is. The Rotten Tomatoes, like the tomato meter isn't a measure of like, oh, this is 68% a good movie. It's no 68% of critics thought it was better than than bad. Like at least something worth watching. You know, that could mean that every one of those 200 critics that reviewed it would have given it like a c plus but they all rated it fresh instead of rotten and so if you have a movie with a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes that does not mean that it's a perfect movie and everybody loves it that means most people think it's fine
1: yeah yeah or good or great rotten tomatoes can be a good barometer right but Mm -hmm. it, it isn't ultimately we treat it as though it's this you know uh objective measure of how good or bad a film is and whether or not you should see it and very often it isn't and i mean i think that all of us fall into that category there there are times where i've sort of been like "Mm, should i watch this movie because it got such a low rating uh but then very often i'll go and watch it anyways and i might be like yes that is absolutely accurate (laughs) and other times i might be like no i loved it you know i thought this was great and um and particularly with, with some films where you only have a couple of reviews of them mm-hmm. uh independent films older films things like that you do also have to pay attention to who is saying it what yep. are they saying um I'm, I'm always mad to you know open up uh, review uh pages of films where it's like ah oh, it's got you know 20 percent on rotten tomatoes and you look and it's like three white guys and no one else (laughs) jennifer's body anyway um exactly (laughs) no exactly because because it's like oh there's a very particular person that reviewed this took the trouble to submit it to rotten tomatoes all of that stuff and Mm -hmm. and it is particularly true for films that for not recent releases but for for films that were released you know 10 or 15 years ago yeah Um, yeah or more than that Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, and any film that that touches on a culture that is not my own or race that is not my own or whatever, um, whatever the case may be, I will go to Rotten Tomatoes and specifically look for, um, you know, black critics or Latino critics or whatever, and and try to to see okay, what are they saying about this? You know, I did that within the Heights. I was seeking out Latinx writers because I wanted to know. Um, their thoughts on the film so that i would know what kind of what to look for or what i should be thinking about you know and and i think that there's a lot of value in that and so that's one thing where i think that rotten tomatoes is really helpful because especially when people um have their their bios and stuff it makes it really easy to to kind of spot okay these are some these are some people i should i should be looking at and and opinions i should be seeking out
1: yeah and and i think that this this then feeds into um one of these questions about criticism is choosing what films you should review mm-hmm. right and i think that that's something else that a lot of critics need to maybe pay a bit more attention to um are you the person who should right. be talking about this particular film regardless of, of your reaction to it um if your reaction to it is very positive right that's that's one thing if it's very negative that's another but is this a film that that you should be giving ground to to black critics or to female critics or to to black female critics right is this actually something that maybe it should not be focused on you and what you think but you should just be amplifying those critics whose opinions maybe might matter a little bit more or um, th- things like that, and and I do think that it's need that there needs to be a balance, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be a lot of different opinions, a lot of different approaches. Obviously, no ethnic group, race, minority, etc., can possibly be um, a, a, a monolith. right Right. so what one black critic says about a film does not mean that all black critics love the film
0: (laughs) right yeah exactly and and vice versa they don't all hate it or or whatever and that's that's what i love about getting to go in and and see lots of different points of view from lots of different writers not to this is i think a trap that some people fall into is like okay well i'm gonna find the critics that are going to um you know the women or, or the latina characters or writers or or whoever it may be uh to confirm my biases (laughs) because that's definitely out there um but you want to look at the ones that challenge your thinking
1: yeah exactly and and like i said to give ground to them as well Mm -hmm. to to maybe if you are a straight white man to maybe be like maybe i'm not the one who needs to be talking right now Um, maybe i'm not the one who needs to review this again regardless of whether it's positive or negative i think that there's this attitude it's just like well if i don't like it i shouldn't say anything but if i do like it i should be a major voice on it it's like no if if this is you know a film that is particularly focused on the the black experience in america maybe don't be the voice for it Mm -hmm. if you're a white guy right if this is a film that is focused on you know, rape or something like that. Maybe you're not the one to weigh in on that, right. and I think that that is something that again critics need to be aware of their own of the the spaces that they have, and I think that is particularly true when it comes to white people um, generally. I think it's particularly true when it comes to men because so much of criticism is dominated still by straight white men.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I think that that's also true. You know, I for for me as as a, a white female critic i didn't feel like i should be be writing a review of in the heights Um, partially because i i had issues with it but really because it's like i don't think that my voice is the one that's needed here Mm -hmm. um i shouldn't necessarily be adding to the conversation Um, maybe i should just be listening to the conversation but i think that that's something that a lot of critics need to do and need to pay attention to
0: yeah there's this weird need that a lot of people have to like write about every single film that they see and it's like if i if i did that i would be so freaking exhausted i've already seen 300 movies this year you know uh not all new movies some of them are rewatches a lot of them were rewatches but it's but still it's like i'm not gonna probably write a review of malignant You know, as much as I I enjoyed it. I'm not going to probably, I don't know. There's lots of movies that I I won't, for whatever reason, get around to writing reviews about. And that's okay. I don't have to write about Mm -hmm. everything I see. There are some people who just feel like they do. And uh, again, I think that comes back to more of of influencing rather than critique. Because how much real analysis are they being able to lend to... A film where they're just pounding out a 300 word review really fast
1: yeah exactly so let's let's talk a little bit about analysis and one of the things that you wanted to to address is, is this issue of context
0: mm-hmm. yeah um,
1: so do you want to speak to that right now sure yeah I,
0: I i i think the main reason i wanted to talk about that is kind of what i was talking about a little bit before where one of the biggest issues that i frequently see you frequently see Uh, in a lot of a lot of things that call themselves reviews is a lack of understanding of the film itself or the the things that go into it such as in the heights you know what are the cultural um, elements that we need to know as as someone who's going to watch that film what helps us understand like, I don't know anything about where Washington Heights is or who lives there or what that neighborhood looks like. But, you know, for, for someone else who's going to be in analyzing that film and writing about it, it's helpful for them to at least know what they're talking about and know what that world is all about uh, in order to really be able to break down the elements of the film and, and talk um, intellectually about it.
1: Yeah. No, oh, I, I, I definitely agree with you. And um, I, I think that this is also very true when you're talking about particularly foreign films, like you're saying, but even something like In the Heights, you know, where, where you're saying, when you don't know where Washington Heights is. You don't know the makeup of that community necessarily. Um, I think that this is also where you begin to get into the, the conversation about should critics do research? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and that's that's one of the things that I think is is interesting. So it's particularly true for um, for films that are not from your particular culture, for, for foreign films, right? So if I'm watching yeah. a film that was, you know, so uh, a good example is Tigers Are Never Afraid, mm-hmm. um, which is a Mexican film, right? a Mexican horror film. It's very conversant in Mexican culture. It's a particular film, you know, it, it has a particular perspective, all of that. But there are things that are in it that i as as a an american right and as a white person i don't have a relationship to some of the elements that are being shown in that movie um, another good one is is uh, la larona
0: mm-hmm.
1: um the the uh whatever it is mexican not not the um uh not the bloom house uh <laughs> conjuring universe the one from guatemala yeah yeah guatemala sorry mm-hmm. yes um but again that has so that is very conversant in folklore in horror stories in and in very particular incidents in its country of origin right yeah um so again there's a lot of stuff in that movie that i don't completely understand i like a lot of what it's doing and i can kind of process some of what i do understand about it but you know there i definitely looked up the the original um folktale which the film is conversant with, but is not exactly doing right before mm-hmm. I began even thinking about trying to talk about it, because um, it's 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 something that is outside my field of experience. So I do think that critics, particularly when you're talking about films that maybe you don't completely get, need to do a little bit of research. Be like, what is this film based on? You know, what culture is it coming out of? Um, do, does it you know is it just doing kind of a kind of sort of a grim fairy tale retelling right or is this actually you know kind of using mythologies horror stories ghost stories etc as a jumping off point um to talk about contemporary culture
0: mm-hmm. yeah also who is the director who is the writer what are their backgrounds yeah. you know is there something about their experiences that is being infused into into the film um, the musical choices, you know, sometimes, sometimes we just go, wow, that's a great needle drop. But there's very, there's usually very specific reasons that songs are selected, um, and, you know, this is one of the things that I, I really love about interviewing the, the people who work behind the scenes. You know, the costume designers, production designers um, composers and really getting to, to listen to their experiences, their research, their, um, their thoughts and choices and what go, what goes into their part of making that film? Because so often, uh, well, I mean, always film is so much more, like we were talking about before, it's so much more than just about the story, just about, the the literal narrative that is presented on the screen there's so many choices that go into that and having the proper context for you know why the costumes look a certain way or why people are speaking a particular way it it all matters and uh to miss that is to often miss really important points in the storytelling
1: yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, it might sound like that this is a lot to do for a single film or to do a single uh, review. I think that, again, particularly if, if we're at a point where we don't completely understand what the film is doing um to like actually that it's it's that whole thing like letting it sit to actually work on it a little bit more to think about it a little bit more to do that research you know even just looking it up on a, on its own wikipedia page can sometimes give you an insight mm-hmm. into into where the film is coming from and why uh, the director writer etc made the choices that they did that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with them but you can understand it a little with a, a little bit more in depth in fact sometimes that can also mean that you know you're like oh i understand why they made those choices but the choices didn't work mm-hmm. um you know i understand why they decided to go with this kind of costuming but i don't think that it worked in the way that they wanted it to yeah. and that can inform your response and it can it can give you a deeper understanding of the production of, of film and and also in the way that all of these different elements of cinema come together in order to produce whatever it is that we're watching
0: mm-hmm. yeah exactly and there's also always the option to just not write about it if you feel like that's too much work or you don't <laughs> understand still <laughs> yeah that's always a choice that you can make <laughs>
1: Well, and, and, you know, we've talked about a lot about historical context, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and that's, that's the other thing is that when you're, when, particularly if you're talking about writing about commenting on older films, you know, it might be important to understand that, you know, if you say, well, this is, um, uh, so, you know, I've been watching a lot of pre-code films. And uh, one of the films that I talked about last week was is the movie Hold Your Man. Mm-hmm. That film has a very particular approach to um, uh, sex before marriage, right? Um, children being born out of wedlock, all of that. And one of the things that I found out in reading up on the film was that this was actually something that was imposed on the writer, who is a woman, um, by Louis B. Mayer, who's the head of the studio, who basically said, you know, this this character has to be punished for having sex out of wedlock so you've got all of these cultural aspects that are going into the making of this film and that are resulting in the choices that are being made now we can argue about whether or not those choices ultimately work right but it is important to know like what the code is if you're writing about pre-code or post-code hollywood cinema it's important to know what they're allowed to show on the screen versus what they're not what the um, cultural context is of the of race relations gender relations all of that again it's not about excusing any issues that the film might have but understanding those issues and putting them into your understanding of the film
0: yeah yeah exactly and and so when when especially when we're watching films from a culture or a time that are not our own um it really is Helpful because so you know I mean we've had these conversations with people who are like well I don't watch old movies because they're all sexist or I don't watch old movies because they're all racist and you know what a lot of them are most of them I would say probably are at least to some degree but when you take the time to understand the 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 context uh, on and off the screen like you're talking about that can really help to understand some of the choices that are made and it can help to understand the subtext of that film too because sometimes especially during the code era there's a lot of stuff that is not overtly stated that is implied because they can't overtly say say things Mm -hmm.
1: yeah exactly and why and their particular choices that are made because the code forces them to make those choices right Mm -hmm. or they try to kind of skirt around them a little bit um may you know so uh the, the, you know there's always this like well these films you know there's no sex in these films it's just like well there is if you pay attention uh-huh. <laughs> um there there definitely is and but because no they're not allowed to show sex on screen okay so we we can't in fact they're very limited in the kind of intimacy that they're allowed to show on screen so how do they show intimacy you know because mm-hmm. they do indicate intimacy and and i think that you know that that is definitely part of the context of the film and it's part of understanding you know the subtext of when you have two characters that kiss and then the camera fades out that's basically the cinematic shorthand for and then they had sex like that's one <laughs> why...
0: one thing led to another
1: <laughs> yeah so i i always like it in like there's a scene in casablanca where um uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman kiss and they're oh. like oh I missed you so <laughs> much and the scene fades out yep. and then it fades back in and they're still in the same scene in the same room uh, it's implied that it's a little bit later. And like Ingrid Bergman is like lounging around and you're just like, okay, they had sex. So like, that's what happened. That's what happened. No one has their clothes off. We de- They never talk about it, but they definitely had sex because that's what the scene is implying. They can't show it, but they're implying it.
0: I didn't understand until much later in life that, yeah, they didn't just kiss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep so yeah it's important to kind of know those things to be able to approach those the films within that and, and like, like we've said before you know representations of, uh, of race or of gender change over the course of, of history and what is acceptable in one era might not be acceptable in another but that doesn't necessarily mean I think you have to kind of take the bad with the good or in the good with the bad that um you know there are some films the, some early hollywood films that have actually have very progressive for the time period representations of relations between the races which is not to say that they are acceptable now right but um I, one of the films uh one of the films that i saw and now i'm blanking on the name of it fuck Imitation of life, there we go. Mm. Um, Which the central relationship in Imitation of Life is the relationship between a white woman and a black woman. And it's about their friendship. Now there's also all kinds of issues that go along with it, but it's a really progressive film for 1934. It's because it does feature these two women and, um, and the problems of their relationship and their friendship and their love for one another uh and and particularly issues of race and one of one of the the things that happens in the film is that the the black woman has a daughter who's very light-skinned and she tries to pass for white and she's very angry at her mother for being her mother basically because her mother is so is so obviously not white um and so you've still got this film that has a lot of problems with it but actually is talking about race and the relationship between, um, between women in a very complicated way for
0: 1934.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to, to remember that and to, to not necessarily excuse films for racism or sexism or anything like that, but to also see how they would be viewed and how they are viewed um, within their, their cultural and historical context.
0: Yeah, definitely. and it's okay to look back on a film and say hey this wouldn't work now you know that that's totally fine it's not that you shouldn't that you should only judge films for like the 1951 release date um as if you were from 1951 no it's not it's not about that and and the whole point of reviewing films from 100 years ago um is to, is, it's a great opportunity to talk about the films that hold up and the ones that don't and elements that work still and elements that don't and why that is mm-hmm. and what we've learned from it and how the world has changed, how the industry has changed. Those are all very valid things to write about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so go, kind of going off of this, one of the things we wanted to address a little bit is uh, this question of genre. Because there's been a lot particularly right now, and I think that a good example for of genre is horror um, it's a very complex and layered genre, but there's been a lot of talk about you know cr- critics reviewing horror films when they don't like horror films <laughs> right and and how and i genre is the, is this very important and very nebulous topic because it's sometimes you're like, well, does this fall into the correct genre?" Um, but one of the things to actually understand, I think, is that different genres have different conventions that you kind of come to expect, um, as a viewer, right? So a a good example is, and we've talked about horror a lot, but, you know, slasher films or monster movies, um, where you have all of these concepts, like the return of the repressed, the, um, the masked killer, right? The, the black gloved killer is very popular in, um, in giallo films uh, you have this extremity of violence or body horror physical representations of um of, of deformity usually and so then that slides into questions of ableism etc but horror has all of these different elements that go into it right and in order to understand if a horror film is successful or not you have to understand the generic conventions of the of the uh genre that you're working in right so i i think that that a good example of this um is that recently there was a review of halloween kills which is the new halloween movie coming out um, very shortly i think mm-hmm. <laughs> um in in which the 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 critic uh references the fact that halloween killed that the original halloween was in fact a ripoff of texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) which to anyone who has seen both films is bullshit Mm -hmm. right now i think that what this critic may have been saying was that you know it and and one of the things he actually says is, is by the numbers killings right it's just like yes that is literally the genre of film that you're mm-hmm. talking about right slasher films and um and that era of, of horror films is very much about this by the numbers killings right we talk, in fact fans of them talk about oh this this film has really great kills Um, you talk about you're just like oh the girl who gets stabbed through the chest in that one and the guy who gets his head cut off in the next scene you know that kind of thing you talk about the quality of the murders um and that is part of the generic convention that's what you are conditioned if you are if you watch slasher films that is what you're conditioned to expect so the idea that halloween rips off texas chainsaw massacre is just bizarre because basically what you're saying is unless a film unless these films are all completely 100 percent unique their failures or their ripoffs their knockoffs you know does that make all slashers knockoffs of each other does that make all slashers knock knockoffs of psycho or um uh peeping tom mm-hmm. you know so not having obviously not having that genre knowledge, the understanding of the way that genre works, can result in some really stupid statements.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. And a lack
1: of understanding of the film.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I think that there's such a, a really good wealth of of discussion topics in here. I think we should actually talk more about this next week. Like really dive into to agree, yeah. genres and the super genres and the macro genres. And so yeah.
1: So we'll do we'll do generic conventions a bit more next week. I just wanted to Let's like go off on but yeah for
0: sure. <laughs> yeah, because Halloween kills well Halloween is not Texas Chainsaw is not Friday the 13th, like <laughs> yeah, yes, I, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's
1: very
0: not, bizarre. Yeah, and some critics just wanna hear themselves talk and like that's the thing i would really love to sit down with that that particular writer and say listen did you really mean it this way or did it come out wrong (laughs) like (laughs) please explain to me your thought process here because you're wrong and i would like to know if that was intentional or not
1: (laughs) well i i I mean i do think that like at least on the surface it does seems to be a lack of understanding of Mm -hmm. the history of the genre and of the history of cinema um yeah and and what is what is expected for fans and and for viewers of those those films yeah um so yeah let's talk about that a bit more next week uh do we want to talk about malignant sure i wouldn't mind talking about malignant speaking of horror films Mm -hmm. (laughs) um speaking of genre as well um i'm still
0: trying to process my thoughts on it to be honest but uh
1: (laughs) so i know that no spoilers for now if we want to do spoilers we could do maybe a little bit later but so malignant is the latest film by james wan um was just released in i think it's released in theaters and on hbo max yes um the the story revolves around a a young woman who um is is kind of she's pregnant she's in a somewhat abusive relationship with she is in an abusive relationship i'm not going to say mm-hmm. someone um an abusive relationship with her husband and she again without spoiling too much she begins to um be able to see murders being committed by this very shadowy figure um whose voice she can act, she can also hear so that's that's the general thing and then things progress from there uh as the police are investigating these murders and her relationship to them and um and what is actually going on as she begins to kind of uncover more information about her past and why she is having these experiences it's a wild film i mean i think <laughs> it's wild even it, it was funny because a lot of people were talking about you know james wan and um and one of the big ones that was referenced was dead silence which is a, a similar film in a lot of ways um but this this one i think that even if i were to spoil it for people i don't think you would completely know how this was going to play out there's because really
0: no preparing you
1: it, it it just isn't even if i tell you like all of the all of the different permutations of what happens it just be like no i don't think you're ready to really see what this film does a lot of people have talked about um, the fact that it's it's kind of tonally all over the place i don't think it is i think that it has this very good progression you start out as this kind of almost haunting narrative right so she's hearing these voices she's having these kind of bizarre visions right um and and she has like some association with with what's happening she's kind of trying to figure out what is happening to her um and then as it goes on and more and more gets revealed it kind of slides into this this you know epic bloody battle essentially um but i don't fi- i didn't find that those things didn't mesh well together i think that it, it has a very clear arc it has a very clear progression um from where it starts and where it ends certainly if you watch the opening scene and you watch the final scene you might be like wait a minute what the fuck how did you get there <laughs> but if you yeah. actually watch the entire middle part <laughs> it mm-hmm. does make sense yeah I think where people
0: get lost is that this is definitely a gross out body horror film in some ways. And I think that there are people who really struggle with that, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, And so it's easy to get caught up in in some of the just gore, because this is a really gory movie. Um, But, but yeah, I think that it does some really really interesting things some of them more successfully than others (laughs) but um but ultimately i agree with you it has this this really great progression from the beginning to the end you're you're following her on this journey you're learning things at the same time that the main character is more or less and um and it does so in a way that is it's not confusing it's easy to follow but yet some people are still getting story elements wrong whatever that's fine (laughs) but um but i think that ultimately it, it really it has some very interesting things to say and the lead character is someone who i mean she's awesome she's a badass and there is a scene in here that is so freaking cool and yes i know it was done with green screens it's fine but it's really cool and it's very well done. It looks awesome. And, uh, I, I had a lot of fun with this. I, I knew less about it going in than you did, I think, but, um, and I think this is definitely a, a situation where it doesn't really matter how much, you know, because if you like, the more you know about it, the more I think you're going to have specific expectations that are not going to be met because this is just so (laughs) out there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's a crazy movie and you should watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's wild. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, you've got all of these giallo references, like the black yep. killer kind of thing. The, the, the violence of the kills, this, this whole idea about being able to see having like a psychic connection with the murderer who that you mm-hmm. can see the killings, but you're not able to do anything about them. All of that stuff is very much is very much yellow. And what's, I think what's great about it is that it does something that is recognizable in terms of genre, right. but is very unique also mm-hmm. um, because of kind of part, part of it is just the mashup of different styles and and subgenres that he's using, but that does work. so that's that's what I was saying like it's, I don't think that there's particularly a tonal shift. I think that there's a there's a tonal progression.
0: yeah, I think that's the perfect way to describe it
1: so one feeds into the other and it it works as a result um so yeah i I won't say any more about it i am writing a review of Malignant. um i'm trying very hard not to give anything away (laughs) but a lot of it is very vague like and then this happens (laughs) and then there's a thing
0: and then there's a thing
1: (laughs) and and then stuff happens after that that then a person shows up (laughs) is really cool Um, Yeah, so I I do, I think that, you know, trigger warning if if you're bothered by gore definitely avoid this. Um, For sure. That that being said, you know, I even asked before I started it, um, you know, is this more James Wan like Saw or more like James Wan Dead Silence and The Conjuring because I can deal with the one and not the other. Mm -hmm. uh and and it is it's definitely gory and violent so it's more extreme in that sense but there's no like torture or anything like that so right um so it it didn't it didn't bother me which the murders uh, are pretty brutal but they they end quickly (laughs) yeah they're not dwelt on at all there is there isn't this like it's uh, like i said i think that it's it is very much giallo in that sense
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um you know you get the kind of build up to it and then the murder happens and then you move on yeah uh which you know thank you james wan because there's some things i'd rather not look at for an extended period of time um (laughs) so yeah (laughs) see malignant it's on hbo max it's in theaters uh you know try not to be spoiled by it but again unless you read every single plot point i don't think that this film can actually be spoiled for you probably not
0: (laughs) well because it's one of those honestly if i had known what it was going into it i probably still would have been like but
1: i don't understand (laughs) so i need
0: to watch this because i don't understand so
1: so i think that that's going to close us out we do have a question from mason that we didn't get to last week because uh, uh we had not checked the the, the twitter handle um early i think it enough. came through as we were recording yeah probably <laughs> as we were recording so we do have a question from mason um i'm gonna move this i'm really sorry mason we're gonna move this to next week just because we're kind of running long mm-hmm. uh and but we will address this i promise um yes. so thank you so much and as always you know anyone who wants to shoot us questions uh via email twitter etc please do so we we always try to answer them as quickly as we can but um sometimes as in this case we just sort of miss the miss the boat on them um so i think that that is going to close us out for this beginning i guess of film criticism 201 we talked about a whole bunch of different things yet again Mm -hmm. um and as always we want to thank our patrons who include adriana ali uh heather james kathleen cariata mason matt matthew michelle monty nanina robert robert steve sharon Tao, and will thank you so much guys and if you want to join our patreon that's patreon.com slash we do have a bonus episode that we're going to be doing so uh we're going to do some more watch parties and try to get some more bonus content up for you guys uh, there so that you are actually getting something for your money. Thank you so much as always for um, supporting us. If you do wanna just send us a couple of bucks but don't wanna make the commitment, that is fine. Uh, our ko fi is co-fi.com slash We do still have our Zazzle store up, zazzle.com slash pod. And of course, you can check us out on our website, that's CitizendamePod.com, where we've got reviews coming. They say, I'm gonna have my malignant review up. Um, We've got Karen's review of Pig. I have a review of The Green Knight. um, And some other fun Blu-ray stuff will be coming shortly. You can also get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email address is CitizendamePod at gmail.com. Uh, we are also on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and on Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. And we will have lists um, dealing with some of the films that we talk about today and uh, various lists attached to our different episodes, as well as our ongoing greatest films by female directors, because we are tired of answering those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you can, of course, follow us and get in touch with us individually Uh I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at lh business. Karen, where are you?
0: I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M Peterson.
1: And that will close us out for this week. Tune in next week. Bye. I think that one of the things that uh, I feel about young people writing or any criticism at all by anybody of any age
0: is either implicitly or not, it's in the first person. Correct and it's not a science and you're not talking about the truth and you're not saying, this is what happened. What you're saying is, this is what happened to me. This is how I feel. I almost think that in journalism school, they should make all reviews and criticisms be in the first person to remind people that it's their own view and not some kind of a scientific objective overview because there's no such thing as objectivity in the arts. It's all subjective and you might as well admit that.